0: is this thing on? No. I'm on now. Oh, I can hear myself. So as you can see, I've actually presented, um, I've given a visual representation of what I want to do today with the sermon. Um, I've been given uh, Acts 24. Um, so the first thing that I just want to start off with um, is basically just say that Acts 24 is a part of kind of like a bigger picture where Paul's journeying to Rome. Um, And then within that big picture, we have um, Acts 1, 8. Yeah, I know. It makes me look fancy. (laughs) So, and I'm going to start my time now, actually. There we go. All right, so Acts 1. So Acts 1, we've probably heard this a thousand times. It was the command that Jesus gave to his followers um, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, right? So this, my passage is a part of this bigger picture um, where uh, Paul is taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, which is actually Rome at this time. Um, and then in the previous chapter, which Yaku preached on, um, it was chapter 23, Jesus appeared to Paul again, and he, gave him a t- he told him to now, uh, you've testified in Jerusalem, but I want to take you further than that. And that's like I said, is Rome. right? So the first thing we're going to look at is just a little bit of the background um, of this passage, just to kind of help us understand it more. Right. So scholars have recognized that this passage is dated around 57 to 60. So this is 25 years after Jesus has died. Um, And then there's certain characters that I just want to talk about that are important um, for this passage and just understanding like what's going on. Right. So the first person is Governor Felix. So this is the person that Paul is on trial and he's coming and uh, Governor, Governor Felix or Felix is his judge over what has happened to Paul. Right? Um, so just a little bit about him, um, he was an ex-slave actually, um, he rose quickly to power, he was, he's very cruel, corrupt, he murdered people, um, but his brother was actually a favorite of the emperor at the time. Right. He had a wife, uh, her, his, her name was Drusilla, um, she was born actually five years after Jesus died, she was married three times, she uh, was bribed actually by Felix um, to marry him. Because she, and it was based on her beauty. So, did, what, did, what did I say? Nice. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, this is actually her second marriage. Um, the next person is Ananias and his elders, right? Um, so, Ananias has actually been associated previously with Felix. Um, he actually wanted, he was on trial. Felix was on trial to becoming governor, and Ananias was the one that actually favored him and won him the case to become governor. Right? And then, but the, the tension now between Ananias and Felix is that Ananias actually killed one of, uh, um, Anani- sorry, Felix actually killed Ananias's companion who was also a high priest. He killed him actually because he was just giving him too, advi- too much advice. It's quite ridiculous. <laughs> um, but the, and then the last person that I just want to point out, his name is Tertullus. Um, he's the lawyer that's actually um, defending and the accuser against Paul, right? And he's actually, the main thing that we just know about him is that he's a, Ro, a Jewish Roman lawyer. So as we know, Paul himself was a Jewish Roman. Um, so Tortullus is actually well acquainted with Roman culture and the Jewish culture. So he's able to actually go head, head on with Paul in this case. And that's something that Ananias and the, elders would need. All right, so let's look at the first section of the passages. So what I'm going to do is just basically read it out and then explain kind of what's going on. So, after five days, Ananias and the high priest came down to Caesarea with some of the elders and with the barrister, the lawyer named Tortullus. Um, they told the governor what they had against Paul. Paul was summoned and tortulus began his speech of accusation. Most excellent Felix, we are drawing a great peace because of you. Through your wise foresight and planning, things have greatly improved for this people. We, are wel- we welcome it in every way, in every place, and with every feeling of gratitude. But so as not to keep you waiting any longer, I beg you of your forbearance to listen to us briefly. We find this fella, Paul, to be a public nuisance. He stirs, uh, stirs up civil strife among all the Jews all over the world. He is the ringleader in the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to defile the temple, but we caught him. If you examine, examine him yourself, you'll be able to find out about all these things of which we are accusing him. The Jews added to their voices to this speech and agreeing that it was just as had been said. Sorry. Um, So first of all, if you look at where it says most excellent Felix, um, you know right away that he's talking complete nonsense, for one. Um, Basically because if you understand ancient rhetoric or how people spoke in the court of law, the way that they started off in order to gain the judge's favor is start with flattery, right? So you see it says most excellent Felix. We we are enjoying great peace because of you. And um, if you also are a historian at that time, Um, you would understand that that's not true. Um, This is because what has happened so far in history, um, a few years before, the Jews were actually kicked out of Rome um, because they were creating a disturbance in society um, among the Romans, but they were getting upset because of what all the Christians were telling them about the gospel and their their own Messiah, right? So Claudius, the emperor at the time, he kicked them out because he, he just had enough of them, Right? And then on top of that, to add to that, Felix himself was actually involved with some military action. So what happened is um, the Romans took the Jewish scrolls, the writings that they had, and burnt them and just completely disrespected the Jews. And the Jews said, Fight, screw this, we're going to do something about this. So what they did is they attacked a Roman military, um, military base. And then Felix was the one who dealt with the situation. So, we have a historian from that time who, who records the situation. He, he writes One day the Jews were victorious, and Felix came into the marketplace and ordered them with threats to retire. These are the Jews. Um, when they refused, he sent his soldiers against them and killed a large number who were, whose property was promptly plundered. As the rioting, however, continued, he picked up the leading men of both communities and sent them as ambassadors to Nero. He was the next uh, emperor. Um, to argue the merits of the case, right? So you see Felix just killing the Jews, and it's like, really, Felix? I mean, really, Tertullus? Is this really a time of peace? So the next thing I'm just going to look at is some of the other accusations that um, Tortullus said. So he said, every, so Paul was an instigator. Paul, um, every time involved with the Jews, he'd been making a mess, starting riots, and all this stuff. So one scholar points out that Luke carefully has recorded each scenario where Paul has um, been involved with the Jews. And every scenario, as you can see, it's laid out there. But the Jewish people were actually the instigators. And if you were to look back and read them, you would see it was started by the Jews, right? So you know that's not true if you know what has happened so far. The other thing that I'm just going to explain is the leader of the Nazarene sect and just what that meant, right? So uh, Tortullus was actually, um, he said that to denigrate Paul, uh, because the group was a minority, and in Roman court of law, uh, a group that was a minority um, would not play well out for the, for the person, right? They were favored among the po- poor, and they had no representation in the elite class of society, um, and politically they were powerless. So again, a lot of these things play into account when it comes to Roman, Roman court of law. And the other thing that he says um, to Paul, he says, Paul could be a political threat, to Roman society, and this is where Felix now has to do something about it, and this is because he said he desecrated the temple. Now, Romans, at the time, they had temples themselves, and they knew that that was something bad, and they hated that themselves, so it actually, within society, the fact that Paul desecrated the temple, oh, that's great, um, Paul, that, Paul <laughs> that Paul desecrated the temple, um, it was actually a capital offense in Rome, Right? it up? No. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's cool. So the next section is what, what is Paul's response um, to, to what everything Tertullus has said. Um, so I'm just going to read it out to you, and this is... Yeah, all right. So that's what it looks like. But anyways. So anyway, so I'm just going to read out what Paul's response to all of this is, like whether it's true or whether he has an answer to it. So he, so he reads, um, the governor motioned to Paul uh, to speak. And this is Paul. uh, I understand that you have been governor of this nation for several years. Paul's actually using flattery himself. Um, He began, and therefore I am all the more pleased to make my defense before you. You will be be able to discover that it is not more than 12 days since I came up to worship at Jerusalem. They didn't find me disputing with anybody in the temple, nor was I stirring up uh, a crowd, either in the synagogues or elsewhere in the city. They can pro- provide no proof of any of these charges they are now bringing against me. But this, is much, this, but this much I will confess to you, that, is, that it is true that I do worship the God of my ancestors um, according to the way which is, they call a, a sect. So Paul is actually admitting that he's a part of a sect, but the bigger picture is that he just admitted, I do worship the God of my ancestors. Now, these are the, this is the exact same God that, his, that is of his accusers. Right? So now it puts them, and, and Jewish thinking knew the way. They knew of this group because they were a mainstream, a mainstream um, group within society. Right? So now it actually puts them in the majority group, not the minority group. Right? He continues to, to um, say, I believe, I believe in everything which is written in the law and in the prophets. I, hope, I hold to the hope in God for which they also long that there will be a resurrection of the righteous and, and the unrighteous. For that reason, I make it my settled aim, always to have a clear conscience before God and all people. He continues, For several years, I have been collecting alms and offerings to bring to, to my nation, Jerusalem. That was the business I was engaged, with, engaged in when they found me purified in the temple without any crowds and without any riots. There are some Jews from Asia there. They are the ones who should appear before you. And bring accusation against me, that they have, that they may have, and or let these people themselves say what wrong they found in me, where when I stood before the Sanhedrin. So this happened in Yaku's passage, which was chapter 23. Unless it is about this one thing which I shouted out as I was standing among them, it's because of the resurrection of the dead that I'm being uh, being judged before you today, right? So Paul's very smart. I think he's quite, he's quite smart here. So what he does is he says, I believe in everything which is written in the law and in the prophets, right? Um, and then on top of that, he goes on to say, there will be, I, I hold to the hope in God, there will be a resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, if you understand Jewish thinking, there are two main, two main groups. There are the Pharisees, the Sadducees. The Pharisees are the ones who actually believe in the resurrection of the righteous and the and the unrighteous, right? The Sadducees were actually a minority group even though they had a high political um, ranking within the temple and and everything like that. And because Paul has now identified himself with the Pharisees, he's actually placed himself within the majority group and he's now above Ananias and the the elders. He's very smart in what he's doing, right? It's quite interesting. Interesting. The other thing, oh, so the other thing, I don't know if you saw, was bolded. So Paul said, I've been here for 12 days. In 12 days, he was in Jerusalem. Um, And if you understand what 12 days mean, 12 days basically just means Paul's pilgrimaging. You know, a lot of people came to Jerusalem at the time. They were pilgrimaging. And if he was uh, labeled as someone who was pilgrimaging... Um, that would not, it would not make sense that he's a rioter. Why would he travel? I mean, we've kind of followed him throughout. He's come through Corinth, Ephesus, and now he's come all the way down to Caesarea. It just, a rioter would never do that. They would never travel so far, you know, to come into a city and start something out. Like, so, that, so that's actually in Paul's favor. The other thing that he mentions, like I just, like I mentioned already, is that he's a part of the way. So this is common thinking of main, mainstream uh, Judaism. It meant your whole manner of life related to Jesus and God's purposes, right? His beliefs were all promises of the Old Testament scriptures through the prophets. And like I said, there will be a Jewish hope of resurrection, which is, in, which is explained in Daniel, Daniel 12, 2 to 3. Um, so like I said, this actually placed them within the majority And now the judge is seeing this and he has to do something about it. You know, Paul is in the upper class uh, against Ananias and he has to, you know, deal with this situation. But the other interesting thing is the fact that Paul has now admitted um, why he's on trial. Is that my next point? Yeah, he's admitted why he's on trial. Oh, I got it right there. Uh, I'll go back to the purpose actually quickly. Um, so, Paul admits why he's um, really here. So, as you saw, he, he said, I've been collecting alms and gifts and offerings for many days. This is recorded throughout his earlier letters, right? Um, and it's, he's been collecting money. And he's actually, he, there's a lot of people with him now who hold this money that he has. And he's been actually gathering this up to take to, to Jerusalem, right? Again, it just doesn't make sense why someone who has so, so much respect for Jerusalem, have all this money and willing to give a gift to Jerusalem to be this rider of the Jews, right? And this is what Paul's kind of explaining. And this is the interesting thing uh, if you understand Roman law. He says, uh, by the way, you know Ananias and elders? Yeah, they're not their original witnesses. Ananias and the elders are the ones who heard about this all. And the original witnesses, I don't know if you remember, it said they were, they were the Jews from Asia. So Asia's just up here somewhere. We're in Caesarea down here, right? So, in Roman law, lack of witnesses causes denunciation of the trial. Um, it creates superstition. And even worse, failure for them to appear would be a serious offense, right? So, now everything's kind of turned around onto Ananias and the elders. But, but Paul actually admits that he's on trial. So, why is he on trial? So, he, this is back in chapter 23, where Paul says it's because of the resurrection. And he's, he's quite, this is where he, it's kind of funny, this is where he actually stirred up something, right? Because he knew the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, and he knew the Pharisees believed in the resurrection, and as soon as you bring up that theological matter, they're just going at each other, right? So he's smart. So he says, I shouted this out. He says, Paul knew that one of the gatherings were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees. My brothers, he shouted to the Sanhedrin, I am, the, I am a Pharisee, the son of Pharisees. This trial is, because, is about the hope about the resurrection of the dead. At these words, an argument broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were split among themselves, right? So in one sense, Paul did actually start something. It's kind of interesting, <laughs> right? But this is, this is the point why he brought this up. The fact that now it's a theological matter between two, amongst Jews, Romans can do nothing about this. Roman law has nothing to do with Jewish law. Right, so the governor's stuck here, like, well, what do I do with this? You know, this is a theological matter between yourselves. There's nothing I can do about this, right? So Paul's bringing this up to actually, you know, show that they have no case against them. So we're looking at the last section. Wow, we're flying. Hmm? That's a yeah. I'll stalk slower. Yeah. Anyway, um, the next thing we have is uh, Paul has just talked about um, all of, you know, sharing how he believes in the resurrection and so on. And now what has happened, um, Felix is kind of like, like just stuck in this situation between Jewish law, Roman law, and like what he has to do. So he just, he's very, he procrastinates on it. And he's like, I'm just going to leave Paul in prison for the time being. But while Paul was sharing his message, um, Felix himself, up there? Yeah, it is. So Felix himself, so maybe I'll read this passage first, and then I'll explain. So it says, Felix was, well, was quite well informed about the way. He adorned the hearing. When Lysias, so this is just the commander, um, the, the tribune, comes down, he said, then I will make my decision about the business. He told the centurion to keep Paul the guard, to allow him some freedom, and not to stop any of his companions from looking after him. After some days, Felix came with Drusilla, so we uh, mentioned her earlier on, um, his Jewish wife. His wife, who was Jewish, they sent for Paul and listened to him speaking about faith in the Messiah, Jesus. As he, and this is his message he gave. As he talked about justice, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became afraid. He's like, that's quite enough for now. He said, you can go. When I get the good opportunity, I'll call for you again another time. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would give him money. And so he sent for him frequently, talked with him. After two years, Felix handed over the reins of his office to, to be honest, Porcius Festus. I think that's his name. I'm not sure. Um, He wanted to do the Jews a favor, so he left Paul in prison. Right? So this is the interesting thing. Um, Felix actually has heard the gospel before. Right? and But for some reason, the, what Paul's been talking about, resurrection of the dead, and, you know, of the righteous and the unrighteous, Felix is like, but I haven't heard this before. So he's very intrigued. So he actually calls for Paul in prison, you know, to hear more about this gospel that um, Paul ha- uh, has to say, you know? And a little bit, of, uh, yeah. And then I uh, just explain, you know, there's some speculation as to why um, Felix. Um, how is it that he heard the gospel? So um, they look, scholars look back at Acts 21, um, and it says when they heard this, they praised. Then they said to Paul, "You see, brothers, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law." So some just locate uh, Drusilla, the Jewish wife, to be within this uh, context and setting, right? So she, they say, "Oh, maybe she heard, you know, um, the gospel amongst these thousands of Jews." But like I mentioned, she was actually born five years after Jesus died. So for 25 years, the gospel has been spreading. It's quite possible where she lives, which is in Caesarea right now, that the gospel has reached her uh, some way, especially the fact that she's she's a Jew. Um, So a little understanding of Roman prisons. So Paul was given freedom while he was in prison because he was a Roman citizen. right? Because what happened is... um, Roman jails did not feed prisoners. Um, Everything was relied on friends and family to feed them. Otherwise, they'd probably just starve to death. Um, His Roman citizenship, like I said, gave him freedom. And as you, I think, I'll go back a bit since I have time. (laughs) So it says, where am I? He told the centurion to keep Paul under the guard to allow him some freedom and not to stop any of his companions from looking after them. So what happened is because friends and family were, I'm um, sorry, because the prisoner had to rely on friends and family for food, the guards actually made money off this. And they bribed the friends and family saying, hey, if you want to uh, gain access to your uh, prisoner or your family or friend, you know, you got to pay us some money first. So they mediated this and like... Um, Made money off it. So Felix actually says, you know, you know, don't do this to him. You know, it's quite open. It's quite in the open. Everyone knows about this. He's like, just don't do this to him while he's in prison. For one, he's a Roman citizen, so that would not look uh, good at all. So I'm just going to summarize Paul's gospel for you. So he spoke about faith in Christ, right? Um, so the word sometimes used, uh, or these three key words within it that are highlighted, Um, Some translations from the Greek use righteousness. Some translations use justice. But overall, what what that word means um, is basically to do what is right um, in God's eyes. Um, And then the other thing is self-control. So to to exercise complete control over one's desires and actions, to keep keep one's emotions and impulses under desire, uh, desires under control. So as I mentioned, um, Felix was just on this rampage of killing Jews, you know, being corrupt, you know, and um, the Drusilla, his wife, you know, was just someone she he uh, he bribed, you know, to marry her. So there was all these things. He was just kind of like following over his desires, and I don't, no one necessarily mentioned it, um, but you know, somehow I guess Paul knew of this and realized these are the three key things. Based on Felix's life, that um, that he should hear about the gospel, right? About self-control. It's like Felix, stop just going after everything you want. You know, have some self-control. You you know who Jesus is, you know, and this is how you should live. You know, the other last thing that um, Paul mentions is the judgment, right? So sometimes what happens with this word is we instantly have this negative idea of judgment and God's wrath, you know, and I do. I do acknowledge that that is something a part of it, but sometimes what I've, you know, appreciated from certain scholars is they're like, just for one second, sorry, for one second, don't focus when it comes to like certain ideas, you know, and theologies. Don't do not hone in on one small part, you know, to what the judgment is. You know, it's just like t- uh, take a step back and realize what is the end result. Of, of God's judgment, right? And it's this idea... Nice, I have so much time. Um, it's this idea in Revelations 22, you know, after all of this has happened, after everything of the judgment of God is, has happened. And that's something hard to get through and to, to understand. But at the end of all, in Revelations 22, you see heaven and earth coming together, you know, and there's there's people, you know, who... And this is kind of like what Paul's situation, you know, there's many corrupts, there's corrupt systems, you know, within Rome, but even in society today, you know, true justice is never really rendered, you know. Someone's always affected by the systems that we have, you know, someone's not fed, you know, but there's lots of money or just all these things. Like, it's, it's never, there's never a sense of true restoration, true justice, you know, and that's the idea of what, what Paul is kind of stuck in. He's stuck in this corrupt system where the Romans are trying to fight the Jews, you know, and Paul's just like, I'm here to go to Rome to preach the gospel, you know, and Paul's stuck in this. And ultimately, what his hope is, is to look beyond the situation and recognize, ah, there's a resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous. God will be my ultimate judge. You know, I'm stuck in this situation, but I need to look beyond and recognize that God is the ultimate judge, that in my scenario, somehow, I will get to my purpose, which God has given me, you know, and true justice in the end will be rendered. And that's the idea of Revelations 22, where it's heaven and earth come together and there's true justice, true restoration. There's no pain, there's no suffering, you know, in this world. There's no evil, you know, in this world where, you know, there's a, a higher class oppressing, you know, a lower class or anything like this. So it's actually something we kind of long for, right? And this is what Psalms. 96, 10 to 13 kind of explains. You know, we rejoice about this idea. You know, it says, "Say," I don't have it up here. I'll just read it. Um, But it says, Say among the nations, The Lord reigns. The Lord is firmly established. He cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with iniquity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy let all creation rejoice before the lord for he comes he comes to judge the earth he will judge the world in righteousness and the people's in iniquity so like i said this is a good thing Jubilancy, rejoice be glad sing for joy you know this is if you read uh, if you read the full chapter of romans 8 it's this idea that creation is longing you know for full restoration to come for, for true justice to come into this world because people still suffer whether we want to acknowledge it or not You know, people still suffer. And this is the idea of judgment where God will finally come and actually bring true restoration and put everything right. You know, this is something Christians long for. It's not a negative idea. Um, So this is just to show off, I guess. Not really, but... (laughs) Where are we? (laughs) Uh, So anyways, like I said, Jesus died 33. Drusilla was... Uh, born five years after. Um, I talked about the expulsion of the Jews from Rome. That happened in 49. Um, the reason why I'm doing this is because my professor uh, uh, brought up an interesting point. He goes, um, he's like, yeah, you know, I was talking to some students and uh, they, for some reason, they believed Abraham who, and Moses had coffee together. <laughs> you know, and it's like they never understood a basic timeline of, of, you know, the story. You know, Moses lived 1,500 years ago, and Abraham lived before that, you know. So I guess this is why I did this. But anyways. Um, <laughs> sorry? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we have the Jews ex- ex- expelled from 49, um, and then we are where it says trial. That's where we are. Well, by the end of the chapter, we're at Festus, But yeah, so we have the 57, um, which is where we are. Festus, which is the new uh, governor who comes into power after um, Felix, Um, and then the reason why I put the destruction of the Jerusalem because that's like that's something we should all know about. It's a major shift between Christians and Jews, Um, so that's why I just had that um, 70 up. Um, But anyways, all right. So last thing. (laughs) Nice. Got two minutes. <laughs> all right. So where does this all leave us? And these are the things that I've come up with while reflecting, praying, and kind of just felt what God was saying through these scriptures, right? So the accusers. So in Acts twenty four seventeen, do I have it? No, I don't have that written up. Anyways, um, Acts twenty four seventeen talks about Paul. What is the purpose of Paul coming to Jerusalem? He he came to give. He came to the gifts that he had, he came to offer to Jerusalem and the center of this, the city. And for us Christians right now, obviously Jerusalem is not our center. Um, it's not the place where we gather and worship God. In one sense, you could say that now the church has become that place. The church has become the center um, where God, where people come, you know, pilgrimage, if you want to use that word, I guess. Um, but it's just ask ask ourselves the question: Why have we come? Have we come to give gifts? You know, do we believe we have gifts? Is there a is there purpose in our coming? Or do we just come, you know? Um, yeah, what do we have to give? Have we something to give? You know, do we give, right? Do we, do we believe we have something to give? Yeah, I'm kind of repeating myself. Um, or, this is kind of snarky, but it says, or do we come as ones you like to disturb? You know, that was something else that I just came up with. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, What do we believe? Does it cause action? So reading um, Acts 24, 15-16, I'm going to read it quickly. Um, It says, and this is Paul's response and kind of declaration, if you um, want to label it. It says, I believe everything which is written in the law and the prophets, and I hold to the hope in God, for which they also long, that there will be a resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous. Ready? For that reason, I, settle, I make it my settled aim always to have a clear conscience before God and before all people. Um, now, basically, what happens is if you just understand the simple structure of that sentence, for that reason, explains the means why Paul acts a certain way. Right? So it's everything, every, all the promises that God has given throughout the Old Testament, through the law, through the prophets, and now with the revelation of, of Jesus, you know, causes Paul to act a certain way. You know, it's, it says, I, I have a clear conscience before God and all people. You know, he's intentional about pleasing God and people and not causing strife amongst each other within the church. As he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31-33. So wherever, uh, so whether you eat or drink, um, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And I feel like everyone stops there, but it's like continue to read. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many. Ready? So that they may be saved. What is our hope? You know, for Paul, looking beyond his situation, he was stuck in this you know, corrupt system of the Jewish-Roman law, battling it out, and we can, I guess, sometimes find ourselves stuck, you know, whether it's just even our purpose in God, like we're stuck, you know, at work, and feel like, God, when when, when do I move beyond this? You know, and it's like, for Paul, for some reason, his looking beyond, or being beyond that, is having a hope. What was his hope? Resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous. You know, the restoration. And it was, it was that which allowed him to somehow entrust himself to the system and believe, okay, God has said I'm going to Rome. You know, I have to, you know, be stuck in this situation, but but pray and meditate and, and and realize that for somehow, you know, God is the ultimate judge. God is the one that's gonna draw me through this, you know, and reach Rome. You know? But unfortunately that came to a hope. So what is that hope? What is that thing that brings you beyond the situation that you feel like you're stuck in? You know, maybe it's the resurrection or maybe it's something else. There's lots of hopes we can develop from Scripture, right? And in that, I'll pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your story. Thank you for all the things that came out today, Lord. So I just pray, Father, um, that we all recognize that we have something to give, that we all have a purpose, that we all have... Uh, a gift to give, it's not always about you know necessarily the money, but our lives, you know, as it says in uh, Romans twelve you know, give yourselves as a living sacrifice, it's your whole being, Lord, that you kind of require us to please you and 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 to please others, Lord. so I pray, Father, that the Spirit would stir this up in us, lord, um that that we would always be reminded of your hope, your hope which leads us beyond situations. You know and and, and and let us meditate on the promises of God, which causes us to live a certain way, Father. so I just thank you for this word that you have uh, for this people and even for myself today, in Jesus name. Amen.